All right, here we go. Another episode of the Musings of Dirtbag Duke. Hope you're doing well. Staying safe and healthy out there. I'll start off by saying that there's a, a, a few more things I want to cover and build off of of the last episode and some information that I came across. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. But I want to expound upon that whole idea of, of what Gen, uh, Gen Z and, and millennials are going through right now and that relationship of and role that Gen X as their parents had and, you know, kind of continuing on a, a little bit different path um, and, and covering more information on that. But first, a couple of other things. Make a, a quick statement about you know college football and and the 22 season I guess you call it the 2022 season and also you know a little bit about going into 23 so I I you know it was interesting to see again how the playoffs kind of worked themselves out again I don't think it's a perfect situation I do like it a lot better than before I think having the four-team playoff has been good for football. I think, um, as I mentioned before, expansion's even better. And so I look forward to seeing that in 24, that expansion, and I think it will be beneficial and good for college football, especially for some of those teams that are in that, obviously, that five, six, seven, eight, nine slot. So teams that are, you know, outside of that top four, the opportunity to get in there and, and to see what they can do. Uh, you know, I, I guess I wanted to, I will say that I wanted to kind of make some comments about it for this year, but, you know, it's, it doesn't do any good and it is what it is. So uh, look forward to 23 and what, um, especially let's see what Alabama can do. Uh, I will say that I believe that I will see them in the playoffs. I think, um, Obviously, you know, Georgia makes another um, trip to the playoffs. And, and so there's two of the four. Uh, I think, you know, just a prediction-wise, number three is going to be, not necessarily in this order, but, you know, the one of the uh, the three out of four teams I'm picking is probably going to obviously come out of the Big Ten. I think Ohio State and, and Michigan will, will be there. Um, I think they'll both do well and contend. I think an, uh, maybe a dark horse there could be Penn State. Uh, but um, definitely, you know, one of them, the the, Penn, the ten, Big Ten uh, champion, I think will definitely be there. They'll be, a, you know, a good team with either no losses uh, or one loss. And so I think, you know, they, they uh, fill that spot. And then number four is kind of a wild card for me personally. You know, I, I don't know that the Big 12 gets somebody else there. I really felt like that, you know, they're going to be down this year. I think it's going to be tough for TC to, TCU to repeat. I think it, it, it makes things a little bit more difficult coming out of there for sure. Um, where there's just, to me, nobody that's going to really come out of the, out of the pack and, and lead that. I think there could be an outside chance maybe with Texas, but I don't just don't think they've got what it takes to to make it through and and uh, end up getting in. I don't think the Big 12 uh, conference champ makes it in. I think that they're probably going to be a team that's got 
to two losses. Um, and I just don't think that they'll have what it takes to make it to make it in. Um, or if they even got one loss, I feel like that they're not going to be maybe as competitive as uh, another team, you know, coming out of some of these other conferences. Then it only leaves basically either, um, you know, an independent or uh, like a Notre Dame. I don't think that they're going to be as well off this year in, in 23 as, as they um, as they could be to make it into the playoffs. Um, you know, you could, you could see a Utah make another run and do well and, and make it through and, and possibly ACC, you know, no real getting confidence there. Um, so, you know, it, it, realistically, I guess you could almost see two Big Ten, two, uh, two SEC teams for 23, unless there's somebody that, that comes out of the, the pack and, 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 you know, does well out of the ACC or Big 12 or, or Pac-10. And I know that's pretty generic, but, you know, I, I guess I would say if I had to pick, it was going to be looking at, you know, the um, SEC Big Ten, you know, one, two, one, two, playing each other for for a chance in the national championship game. But most importantly for me, I think that, uh, you know, Nick Saban has Alabama on track this year. I think he uses the the downfalls from the year and the losses as motivation. I feel like that he has something to prove. I think the leaders of that team have something to prove, and they just need to be uh, better at um, playing a full uh, four quarters of football and be able to, you know, withstand some um, negative things during a game um, and overcome injuries and and. Um, you know, turnovers and whatnot and, and, and win. Um, but it's going to be a tall task, but I think they're up to it. Um, you know, really having a chance to look at schedules, I think that's going to be important too. But, you know, I think it's, it's wide open for them, and I feel like that they can um, succeed and get back to where they belong in, in the SEC championship and then also the, the um, uh, national championship. So enough on that for now. There'll be more uh, maybe coming later. We'll see. Uh, but that's just kind of my early predictions for for uh, the football year of 2023. So here's a good one for you for, I guess, either Darwin Awards or Karma. Um, you know, what goes around comes around. And I've, I found this, um, it's been shared a few times on on video video the video has been shared i should say a couple times on twitter and it's in reference to on back on january 2nd to um i guess we'll call them idiots yeah that's a good description of idiots arsonists uh try to burn down a business a building um and in doing so while they're out spreading uh the gasoline throwing gasoline on the building um one of them Somehow, uh, and I haven't studied the video, but, but anyway, ends up igniting the gasoline, and then it takes off and, and engulfs the other guy. So both of them end up lighting each other on. Well, one of them lights both of them on fire. And so it's it's one of those things that, you know, man, you don't wish, I guess, ill on people or you don't want to celebrate it. But in this case, you got to point it out because you're a moron, A, that you're trying to, 
you know, sabotage somebody's business and B, you know, you're a moron, you're an idiot because you set yourself on fire. Um, and so it's, it's one of those deals that, yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, karma. It's definitely, uh, something going around. I mean, I, you know, I don't like using that word. I guess I shouldn't use, I don't believe in that, but you know, it's, it's something good, I guess, coming out of to it. It's trying to destroy somebody's business and end up, you know, igniting themselves. So it, it, it all works out, you know, in the end. And maybe I guess I probably should have left that one for maybe another episode because I'm going to transition into this topic that I that I um, had discussed last week and, and wanted to decide to carry on in, into this week. And, and it's based on this. It's um, uh, cited by uh, CNBC. Um, and I didn't get a chance to dig into it a whole lot, but... Um, this is published um, back on October 11, 2019 by a Todd Wasserman. It says, a recent study by Mindshare Partners, Qualtrics, and SAP reveals that half of millennials and 75% of Gen Zers have left a job for mental health reasons. In addition, the American... Psychological Association found the percentage of people dealing with suicidal thoughts increased 47% from 2008 to 2017. Companies like Cisco, which claims that 77% of its U.S. workforce is accessing, assessing some form of mental health and substance abuse treatment, is confronting the issue head-on with several programs available to its 75,000 employees and 11,000 managers. So this is all pre-COVID, okay? So this took took place at pre-COVID. So this is, quote-unquote, normal circumstances uh, based on the work world where the people are still in their offices, still working, you know, from wherever that they were. They were working from home at that time, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't the big thing at that time working from home. Um, so you're still working from home. I mean, I'm sorry, still working from the office. Um, there's no COVID. There's nothing else, no other outside factors like a pandemic to have a negative impact. And that's what they're seeing. And so, I, it, again, again, here we are in circumstances where They're finding themselves in this predicament, I guess, or in this situation, this scenario. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, now it, you know, the, we're taking some things for granted that there is some consistency year over year over year with jobs. Okay? At this time, again, though, the economy is in very good shape. Things are very positive there. Okay? Things are going very well from that standpoint. People are are doing well economically, personally. So what is the what is this negativity? And where is all of this? Um, I guess concern and, and over their positions and leaving and and having mental 
issues, uh, health issues, and then also, you know, being suicidal. And so it, it just, you know, causes that, for, for, for me, a lot of concern because you won't take that seriously. But I, I don't understand where we become so weak, mentally weak as a society. What is going on? Is it the medications? Are these kids, you know, and when I say kids, these, these uh, um, you know, Z and, and millennials, are they, are they being heavily medicated already? Is there, you know, and, and where is this inability to cope with, you know, seemingly mild uh, stresses or issues or, or conference, you know, um, inner office um, conflicts or whatever, nothing serious, but you know, the, just normal conflicts that are, are dealt with. And it brings to mind a situation that I ran into about this same, same time frame with a subordinate. When we hired this person, myself and the VP sat down with them and sat across the table from them and looked them in the eye. They looked us in the eye and we told them, hey, this is our expectations, okay? So this is our expectations for you. You need to make, you know, X amount of phone calls every day. We need to have X amount of hires and just kind of walk through those scenarios with them. And, and they looked back and said, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. So they full well knew prior to accepting position what was expected of them and what the job consisted of. And then approximately uh, three, four months into it, uh, you know, she started calling off sick for one day and then a couple of days and, you know, she'd be back for a couple of days or a week and then, you know, calling off sick and, and you know, whatnot and, and being gone. And, um, you know, this went on for a couple of months and, and you know, since, since she was handling everything uh, properly, since this person was handling everything properly at the time, um, you know, there was no real cause for concern from, you know, violating any policies or procedures or whatever. And then at one point, um, they decided that they were, you know, going to leave and, and accept a job outside of the industry, outside of this industry, but also something that they were interested in and, and something that they were very good at. And in the course of that resignation, they had mentioned um, how that there was some pressure and stress and uh, anxiety around the position that they were having and the said agreed upon reasonable expectations and description of the job and how they were having a problem doing that and it was causing all this angst and concern and and for me, it didn't make a lot of sense because this is a job that this person um, knew exactly what they were um, getting into, had performed um, pretty well, uh, you know, right at expectation for the early early part of it, did well hiring for a couple of months. And so, 
you know, was doing well. And then all of a sudden things kind of um, turned off and then it went south. Now, I'm not going to deny that there couldn't have been something outside of work, outside of their uh, job that was, you know, working against them and creating some uh, problems. And then they were just blaming the job for it. Don't know. But I also know that this person wasn't self-aware enough to understand where the problems were and also um, the inability to sit down with their supervisor and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm having a problem with this. Now, there's nothing that really could have been done um, because, like I said, these um, expectations were not out of the realm of being achievable. Um, so that it, it would be something that they would probably end up just needing to leave because they just can't fulfill their job duties anymore. And that, you know, that we were making every uh, effort to try to accommodate, but yet, you know, there was no real health concern that this person could to, could bring back to us. And so it, it just didn't make a lot of sense with me at the time that when you knew exactly what was required of you, you knew how to do it, you did accomplish it, but all of a sudden now something changes and then you can't and then you're going to blame the job for anxiety or you're going to blame your supervisor for holding you accountable and that's ultimately I guess what it was too there's that blame of that you know it's the supervisor's fault for trying to hold them accountable for what they were supposed to do and to me this and not again not lumping everybody in there you may know somebody you may have somebody in your family that's a a, a, a Z and a Gen Z and uh, or a um you know, one of the other younger generations even coming up. And, you know, they're they're well-adjusted. They do well. They're on their own. They're being successful or they're trying to advance or whatever. I understand. And I'm not trying to lump everybody in there. But, come on, when we're seeing numbers like this where it's that widespread and then to go through the, the whole COVID-19 thing, I'm sure that made things probably 10, 15, 20% worse at least. So, again, it's this idea of trying to um, get to that point with these folks to get them turned around and get them to be a little more stable, to have a little more confidence, to deal with these stresses, to deal with these problems. I mean, what if you do get into these real-life problems beyond just a few things around work or whatever, even if, even if beyond that in your personal life? dealing with death or dealing with divorce or dealing with illness, you know, or debt or whatever, serious issues, serious life issues. You know, if, if we can't handle the, the simple stuff, then how are we going to expect them to handle this difficult things? I think there needs to be this really concerted effort to try to, to work with them, to understand where these millennials and Zs are coming from, but also to say, hey, look, you know, we need to have some accountability here. We need to have some growth. We need to have some um, maturity somewhere, some point. And again, you know, it's easy to, I know, it's easy to blame the parents. It's easy to blame them. But I think in many cases, they kind of have a, a certain amount of responsibility and a certain a culpability in this. And that, you know, allow them to learn and make mistakes on their own. Allow them to figure some of this stuff out. So they can, because you're not always going to be there to do that for them. You're not. 
And at some point, they're going to have to stand up on their own two feet. You can't go to work with them every day. You can't be there 100% of the time, all the time, 24-7, 365. You can't. And at some point, then that has to be taken over by them. So I want to encourage, if you know somebody like that, or if you have people in their family that are dealing like that, to take that approach. And if you're, if you're not, if you don't, and you're seeing things that are positive, great, good for you. They're well-adjusted, they're successful, they're happy, good for you. That's great. Kudos to you and your family. Or to your, or to your family member that's you know in that role. But for the rest, there has to be some change. There has to be some serious changes so we don't see a, a, a vast majority of the population continue to deal with this issues and so easily crumbled and and to try to have some impact on, on these suicidal issues. It doesn't solve anything. And last, but definitely not least, I want to mention this. I forgot I want to mention this earlier. January is Human Trafficking Month. And it seems like that that is a, a huge issue, continues to be a huge issue. And that also found, you know, falls underneath that, you know, sex trafficking, human trafficking, any of that type of trafficking of humans across state to state or border to border or whatever, crossing borders. There needs to be continued awareness and continued fight against trafficking, especially those that are getting trafficked into the sex industry. And there needs to be this awareness and there needs to be this war against it, fighting against it and supporting these organizations and groups and individuals that are out there on the front lines. Because it's a serious problem and it needs to be dealt with and we can't keep turning a blind eye to this. And we can't keep just allowing our uh, allowing um, political agendas, political motives to look the other way. We need to take it serious. Well, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying healthy and safe out there. And until next time.